turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're beginning uh, another stewardship program, the treasures of the heart. And why are we doing this? Uh, we do this because our journey was, we were in a dance hall for 13 years. We set up chairs, broke down chairs, finally bought chairs and thought we had not nearly gone to heaven because we didn't have to break it down anymore. Then uh, we moved to Rodeo in Garrison School that we thought we would buy and that we would uh, uh, turn that into a permanent home. We put in sweat labor, we carpeted, we painted, we did all this. The school notifies us, we're gonna reactivate the school. And they finally tore the school down and uh, we were put on the street with 500 people. No place to go, no building to rent. We wound up at the Rio down in Rodeo. We wound up having kids spread all over town in different buildings. You had to go through a, a tank of gas just to let your kids off. Uh, no terrible facility for what we wanted to do for our youth group. It, it was uh, horrendous. I called it the pits and some have been offended. Well, it was the pits. Uh, it was really terrible. Finally, we get a call that uh, the Southern Baptists had this land we tried to buy the land across the street. We never could negotiate a price. So the Southern Baptist called us, said, hey, 60,000 an acre. We'd like to sell that property. We'd already had a building fund war chest, came in here, paid cash for it. Uh, and we got started on the Family Life Center. And uh, we built it for two, about two and a half million something like that, we uh, uh, wound up moving in and we had to borrow 700,000. Paid it off in eight years. We went along, that's 1990 when we moved across the street. We thought we'd gone to heaven because we finally had a location. This is not, all these stuff that I'm talking, is not the church, it's our campus. It's a tool we do ministry with. Well, uh, let's see, I'd say about, uh, 98, 99, uh, the other building was booming. Ted was there, youth group was meeting there, children. We were crowded. We had no room for hardly anything. One day, uh, David Howard told Rich and I, maybe Ted was there, said, you guys, we got to build another building. We got to get started now. And I said, man, uh, no pastor wants to go through a building program. The average is they last two years afterwards if they haven't committed suicide sooner. It, it's hard. It, you know, it's hard when I don't have a verse for what color the wall is going to be. You fight over that. Do you think Christians fight over colors? <laughs> David actually wanted to put folding chairs in here, which would have been great. We should have done it, David. But I shot him down. Because I wanted to save money. Now I wish we had it. I would shut off that hose, out, that wing all the way over there. We would, you'd be in the outer, outermost court. We'd, we'd shut it down at that. I want to bring you in. This is a big building. And when you get uh, 500 people in here, sometimes it looks like marbles in a boxcar. I want to bring you in. And, and these rows, you ought to be SOS when you come to church. Scoot over some. 
fill the gaps. I don't want to preach to spaces, but to faces. There's a difference. I want to, okay. He kept saying this, and we said, basically, in King James English, flake off roads. We don't want to hear it. And, he, and he, one day he came, he said, I know you, Phil. You just one day said, we need a facility. Get it, David. He said, you don't know it will take us two years just to get the permits. Even to pass the environmental test, all that. We had to do all. Well, he was right. We started. So we paid two and a half million over there, paid it off. We said, we won't start this until we have a million dollars. We got that million. We came in here. By the time we uh, finished the basement here, this building cost us $7 million. What does over us say this building's worth? $22 million. Mate, you didn't get that. <laughs> we paid seven. It's valued at $22 million. Do you think we got a deal? I mean, and now we owe $3.4 million. Over half of it's paid off. Now, David and I were hoping we would be alive to see it paid off. And it's getting really nervous for both of us. <laughs> so the reason we're still in these programs is we're trying to pay it off and at the same time not let it be the focus for why we meet. If we have to pay mortgage. We pay $16,000 a month rent. Uh, and that comes down to about 90 cents, cheaper than that, a square foot we're paying. So we're getting a great deal. We would just like to get rid of that so we could pour it into missions, ministries. There's a whole lot of other things we like to do. We won't be through giving. And we don't want a building. Anytime a building program is the focus of your church, that means that church is dying. God's called us to ministry, not to buildings. But we need buildings to house people. I'm so glad I'm not at the Rio. Can I get a witness? Amen. If you were there, you know what I'm talking about. And so, to provide this wonderful campus, you're giving, you're giving, you can measure it, and thank God we've come this far. So once again, we signed up. Let me tell you why we got in three-year programs. Then I'm, I'm through with the speech. We, we got into three-year programs. We got it from the Southern Baptist. Robert Richardson came to us, and that is most young people cannot make up an upfront cash donation. Uh, we, how many of you out there could give us 30000 up upfront? Silent. Uh, see, the largest gift we've ever have, had given to our building program was given by a non-member. A non-member. You see, in our membership, we have 750 people, of which 150 gave nothing last year. So 150. Uh, our bookkeeper knows that. And that when we give receipts, we know that one man did break down and gave, gave a dollar. Squeezed it in somehow. <laughs> I know people that have a Starbucks addiction at $30 a week. And I'm looking down so I don't convict. Uh, that, uh, so that, that's a shame. The elders wrestle. Should we remove them automatically from membership? Should you remove people that don't support the church economically? 
Can you be a member and you won't support us? And we've wrestled. We all just say no. They shouldn't be. That's hypocrisy. They said they would. We haven't done a thing. Because we don't. Sure enough, as soon as we remove them, there'll be some, somebody on a fixed income that only gets $100 a year, and we're going after it. No, 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 no. Why don't they do it? So there's about 20% of the givers in this church. You underwrite a $3 million budget every year. About 22, about every, out of every 10 people that's a member, there's two of them that underwrite us. Two. 20% are doing 80% of the giving. So there's two audiences before me today. One are those who say, I'm getting weary. I've been giving for years. And it doesn't seem like we're making headway. You're making great headway. You and all of us moved at the time that my knees were shaking. I could not imagine a $7 million debt. When we moved in, our rent was 48000 a month. That's a lot of offerings before you do anything else. And it could have broke us. And we lived through 2008. We lived with seven churches a day in America were shutting down due to economics. God sustained us. God got us through. You 20 percenters got us through under God. Then we've got a bunch. We even have many people who are not members who support us faithfully. <coughs> not members, but they give. Some give cash and will not even put it in an envelope. They come to the office and drop off their offering. Thank God. And so we came to this three-year, 36-month program for those who could not give a big upfront offering, but they could make 36 payments. When we first started these programs, I made uh, $23,000 a year. How much cash upfront do you think I could give? And I had three children and two of them in uh, private school. It took me two weeks. Uh, two and a half weeks to pay my mortgage and to do my giving, and I had $300 for the rest of the month. And then you say, church says, we need you to make a big pledge. Say, forget it. I'm trying to survive. So how could you ask a young couple with that? But as time goes on, people gain in wealth. They get their kids out of the house. Uh, they finally pay off the tuition, called tuition. And uh, now we ask, can you pay out 36 months? Some of you can make an upfront gift. And that'd be wonderful. God's I want to know how many here have ever made a commitment and you have not filed bankruptcy. Well, don't be ashamed. Anybody worse off for giving? Would all the cheerful givers stand up and start? No. Uh, <laughs> any cheerful givers? Yeah, let's be cheerful about it. Don't know. So I'm, I'm not the emotional type. I, I don't want to know your temperament. I want to know, is there any cheerful givers? Yes. I mean, all of us who are giving are having a ball with it, and we've got more left than our daddies ever did. So we ain't hurting, let me tell you. 
We're blessed, blessed, blessed. So we would challenge you that have never begun and you don't know what you're finding. Consider praying, praying about maybe do a one-time give, 36 months, however God leads you. Participate if God will let you. Now, the first thing we want you to do, if, if you support our ministry fund and you can't afford this, don't do this. The ministry fund is what we operate this church on. And it's where we paid $100,000 PG&E bill. Ministry fund. If you all make it to the building fund, hey, uh, we'll be uh, bringing blankets down here to keep warm. They don't give us these lights. And we've been putting in solar panels. We've been, Ron Hughes has been trying to cut it every way he can. So, ministry costs. And the moment we get a congregation that doesn't want to give, we got a congregation that says we want to end this ministry. We can't make you give, and we only hear because God's people give their bodies, give their money, give their time. If you don't want to give, we'll bury it. It's up to you. I think of the couple at Moody Bible Church. They were talking to someone, and uh, they began to talk about their son that went to college and uh, how well he did and this and that. And uh, all of a sudden, the mother says, but we don't pay tuition anymore, and he doesn't cost us anything anymore because he was killed in a car accident. Dead sons won't cost you a dime. And dead churches won't cost you a dime. But if you want the gospel to go out in the Bay Area, and you think we're not just throwing money to this or that, but that we give to missions, that we help people in the agape fund, that we run a children's ministry, that we support a youth ministry, that we support people doing this ministry, that ministry. If you think we're doing anything around here that God approves, you ought to be giving. Yeah. It's God's word. If it's not, if it's not for the sake of your conscience, give your money where you believe it. Give it where you believe it. In the meantime, I support missions, but I won't give more to the capital stew than I give to missions. So I'm the largest missions giver in this church. And I give the same amount to a capital. I give to a ministry fund. I give every month to an agape fund. I want to be good to poor people. I want to be good to young mothers that can't pay the rent. I support four things a month in this church because I believe in helping the poor. I believe in supporting missions. I believe in what's going on here. And by God's grace, it's good stewardship if we can finally pay off this building and keep marching. So that's why we're doing it. Do you have any questions? See me in the lobby. Turn to Matthew 6. My speech is over. Do not. Lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Verse 19. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, which seems an odd thing to start talking about eyes. 
when you just talked about treasures. But it says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? I do scratch my head and say, what is he talking about? Stay with me, I'll tell you. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let me say this. Anytime someone chooses to speak on money, they're in good company. 15% of Christ's teaching was about money. 15%. By the way, we have the Treasure Principle book by Randy Alcorn. How many of you have read his book? You need to read. It's back there. He sold 2 million copies. And guess what they did with all the royalties? They poured it back into ministry. He didn't take a dime. Two million copies. Read it. If you want to know God's plan for giving, you ought to read Randy Alcorn, who, because he marched before an abortion clinic, a $8 million lawsuit was won against him. And so he said, I refuse to pay the lawsuit that backs abortion. So he's been able and had to live on minimum wage ever since. Had to get rid of everything he had so the abortion clinic would not get his money. And that's been over 20 years ago, and he's going strong because God has sustained him. Three things Jesus gives in Matthew 24. Three imperatives. Three imperatives. One. Lay up for yourself treasures in the right way. Lay up your investments in things you won't lose. That's all he's saying. Don't put your money where you know you're going to lose it. And you can lose it through natural causes, rust. You can lose it through insects. In the Near East, having a fine garment was a great prize. And he says, your garments can be eaten up. They, they can pass away. You better put a lot of mothballs in that closet if you've got a lot of wool or find something. And then he said, watch the thieves don't steal it because what the common man did, they would often hide any liquid cash, silver, gold. They would put it in the walls of their house. But the thieves would just dig right on through. If they can dig into the tombs of Egypt, believe me, they can break into your house. My wife often says when we're leaving, did you set the alarm? A lot of times I say, unless the Lord watched the city, we watch in vain. She said, I know, but let's go set the alarm. <laughs> you know? I did. So where can you invest in this life? I remember when Carolyn, uh, as a school teacher, she was in the STIRS pro program, the state retirement thing. Well, once she came on the church, the church had a 403B plan, and we thought, well, let's just take her retirement over here, uh, California, you know, they know how to invest STIRS. We'll just transfer it over here. Is that, is that simple? Yeah, that's it. 
50% of it evaporated in one day. The market. And, and we were told this was a lifelong great fun. It will only take half of your income away in a day. So I told her, you're going to have to figure out how you can retire or get another job, you know. Uh, I, I used to, when I first started getting a portfolio, oh, this is yielding 12% a year for 15 years. And as soon as I got in it, guess what? It's the lowest year we've had. I don't care where you put money in this life. Why don't you get a house? You know, California property always goes up. None of you remember 2008, do you? When you were selling your houses left and right, man, my equity, I, you, I have 300000 Now, I'm paying more than what it's worth. That can't happen in California, where dirt is gold. It happened. Resources were lost. Bankruptcies were happening all over the country. And what's going on? Jesus said, you've got to learn where to invest your life, your resources. And listen to a corresponding verse. In 1 Timothy 6, he talks to a young pastor, and he says in 1 Timothy 1, 6.10, he said, don't love money because it will throw you into all kinds of temptation. So, and, and it's a strong word. Don't determine that you're going to be rich. It's a strong, I'm going to get it. He said, don't do that because it will bring jeopardy and, and great trials to your life. You, you could even walk away from the faith. Uh, scary. But then he goes on in verse 17 as for the rich in this present age. Now let's ask ourselves a question. Are there any rich people in the building? I see that. No, I don't. As soon as I say that, how many of you have ever traveled to the two-thirds world? How many of you ever visited India? This couple sure have. I've been to India. Been to Mexico. I've been to the Near East. Been to Egypt. Been to Jordan. Uh, are you rich according to two thirds of the world? But what we do, we compare ourselves with everybody around us. They got a bigger house, more cars, they make more money. They this. So pretty soon you just say, well, I'm just struggling to make it. Had a lawyer friend that he was the uh, a broker dealer in a New York, uh, well, he worked for, for McKinsey, a wealthy lawyer. And he went around for the Christmas time to collect money, kind of like United Way, Salvation. It was Christmas, you know, and he was the pit boss for all the lawyers to go and see whatever guy would like to donate. And uh, uh, he goes around and he goes to this one guy. He knows he's making $2 million a year. And he says, uh, what would you like to give this year to philanthropy or charity? And he said, well, man, I'm not able to do it this year. And he said, oh, okay. Uh, what's the problem? He said, well, I'm just struggling to keep food on the table at $2 million a year. 
I told a man recently who has done very well financially, I said, you've really been frugal, haven't you? He said, my wife says, I've really been tight. She says, I'm a tight one. I said, well, you might be. But he's not tight with God. He's tight with himself. So we don't care where you spend your money. But Jesus says, you better invest with God or you're going to lose it anyway, even if death takes you. Isn't it amazing people think nothing of dropping 5,000 at Las Vegas, and they may have slept with a woman they don't know, and they may have snorted more than they can handle, and they may have thrown the dice all night, and they said, man, what a ball we had in Vegas. A ball? You just threw away $5,000. Soiled your character. Got nothing to show for it. And you call that a good time. And you can't tell your kids what you did. Oh, what fools we are about money. We've always got money to do what we want to do. I wrote down this line. What sin are you willing to commit to get what you want? What sin are you willing to commit to get what you want? You can get what you want and lose what you have. You can get the other woman and lose the one you got. You can get more money and lose your kids. You can get it. You, Adam and Eve, you can get the fruit. I'm going to let you, but you're going to lose paradise. Judas, you can get 30 pieces of silver but you're going to lose your best friend and you're going to lose your Messiah. You got what you wanted, but you lost what you had. You can get that habit. You can get that person and lose your soul. It's up to you. Jesus says, invest with heaven and you won't lose it in the depression. You won't lose it in the stock market. Invest with God first. I was at Prestonwood Baptist when I was going to Dallas, and the Sunday we attended there, uh, they were in the process of launching a Dallas TV broadcast. And so they had to raise so much seed money. And uh, it just so happened they'd been at it for about a month, and they were giving a report of how much had come in. And one of the stories that came out of that is a man visited the church, his daughter graduated from VBS. And uh, at that time, he was invited to accept Christ, and he did. He went to the prayer room, and while he was in there uh, putting faith in Christ, he asked again, he said, what is this campaign they're talking about? They explained it. He happened to bring his uh, checkbook, wrote him a million dollars, and uh, helped to launch that broadcast. And within a year, he went in to see the pastor because in the 80s, I went to school in Dallas in the 80s. Economy was just bottoming out. It was bad time. Uh, he, he went to the pastor and he said, you know, pastor, that million dollars I gave, yeah. He said, I'm now bankrupt. I was in the oil business. Everything's reversed. But he said, the only money I didn't lose during that period is what I gave that Sunday morning. I didn't lose that. I've got it invested in heaven working for eternal rewards. Amen. And Timothy says, tell people that are rich 
not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, good deeds, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. See, when you invest with God, it's like laying up, tra you transfer the resource. Second thing, he starts talking about eyes. Why are you talking about eyes in the middle of giving? The word eye was a Hebrew idiom for outlook. How, he wasn't talking about 2020 vision and physical eye. It was used of how you view things, how you interpret the outer world. And Jesus said, if your eye is healthy, you can see things right. Us who've gone to glasses, uh, we weren't healthy at one time, and so we rolled cars, and we had accidents. We couldn't see afar, and then we had to have glasses. So we weren't healthy in natural vision. And he's saying, your eye, how you view things, is either healthy or it's evil. NIV makes it bad, and they take on the word they're healthy. The common translations are a single eye, a, a see clearly. Uh, here in uh, this translation, NIV says that if your eye is healthy, but the word for healthy is the word for generous. It was used in James 1.5, God gives wisdom liberally. And the word liberally is this word. This is the word that he told the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 9, give with great liberality. This is the word. The eye that is generous in outlook is healthy. The eye that is generous about economics and goods, he said, is a healthy eye, and then the eye that's bad is the, actually the Greek word evil, is the eye that was translated in the Old Testament as stingy. So he's looking at two outlooks for money and how it should be used. One is stingy, one is generous. He said in Proverbs, do not eat the food of a stingy man, for his heart is not with you. He will begrudge it. So what he's saying, it's not good enough for a person to give, let's say, the food, but what was the spirit in them? What did you feel when they gave it? Did you feel uh, ingratitude, resentment, and we, we tell often in our family about our tightwad grandfather, John Howard, uh, who was tight with money, tight, tight, tight. And my grandmother would always have these holiness women to come over for lunch. And a woman comes, she's eating there. And she said, Mr. Howard, would you pass the butter? And as he's passing it, he quotes to her how much it costs. And he meant it. He was tight. 
And she simply, and the comeback was, and it's worth every dime. <laughs> Which made my grandmother cackle with laughter. It's terrible to be the guest of a stingy person. Are you a stingy person? Jesus said, if you are, you can't see, you can't see clearly. You're messed up. You're messed up. Everything's money. Everything's what it costs. Everything. I, I, I've seen people, even that have money, they are freaks about getting a deal. They'll drive 30 miles to get gas five cents cheaper. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, I'll tell you, I remember a man at our church, I visited him, one of the few wealthy men, took me in the bedroom and showed me all the oil cans that he was taking, the wrappers, because I think you got a dollar off. And I thought, well, I guess I'm destined to take it off wrappers and oil cans. I mean, just money controls everything. Our agape fund. We have an agape fund where we help the poor. And at times we've had different men in there, not many, that we would have to educate, always fault on the side of generosity. Because, you know, someone say, before some people, I need $300. Tell us, what did you do with the last $300? Uh, what did you do? But, but just, I did not come in for an interrogation. I'm broke. I need food. Well, you, you know, let me give you a lecture about money, too. Let me tell you something. Why don't you help them? Why don't you help them? Why don't you be generous? Or do I have to prove I've been an immaculate, perfect money manager? You self-righteous Pharisee. No bowels of compassion here. No, no, no. We say fault on the side of generosity. And one of our major guys lived in the back seat of his car. I asked him one time, where did you learn to manage money? I learned to live poor and broke. I know what it is to be broke. As Ray Charles would say, I'm busted. Your outlook. I've seen people in the church, if they ever saw a glimpse of the depression, they think it's almost a sin to buy an ice cream cone. Because they came when there was little, everything had to be managed, managed. Jesus said, get your eye healthy. Get where you want to be generous. I want to be generous. You know, you go with some people, they never, they've never picked up a check in their life. They don't know what it is. I know people, they've never, I've never seen them generous in any context. Are you? He goes on to say, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Mammon is the old translation. 
And mammon comes from a Hebrew word that ought to be one M, M-A-M-O-N. And this is what the Hebrew word meant. It was what you were willing to entrust to another. And it was used in banking. I'm willing to put it as it were a bank or I'm willing to put it in a hiding place. But the concept behind it was what you could entrust and then it came to have the meaning what I can count on, what I can trust. So it came to have the meaning what I trust and what I trust you and I, whatever you are trusting has become your God. And Jesus says you cannot trust God and money. Let money be a servant unto God, but don't put all your trust in money. You cannot serve both. So you have to ask yourself, what do I think about the most? You know, the curse of online banking is I want to check it every morning. See if I made any money during the night. Three cents came in. I never did that until I was online. You know, I just used the passbook. I was too lazy to go to the bank too much, so much a week I'd know. You get addicted. Oh, I got to see that account. Where are we? Nothing's changed since the last time you did. But I can track her spending. That is a blessing. <laughs> what is this? That was an amends department. You can't serve God and money. I write down this line, if you are not content with what you have, you will never be content with what you want. If you are not content what you, with what you have, you will never be content with what you're coveting. God will see to it that it won't satisfy you. He, he intentionally means to break your God. He intentionally, if he has to make you go broke. I had a man come to me at the end of the first service. He said, this sermon is just for me. I lost everything. I went bankrupt. I love this dollar. And it busted me. And only the kindness of other people ever rescued me. Don't put your trust in money, Jesus Trust me. And so I ask you to start praying and seeing what God, you 150, either be informed or repent. There's something wrong. You will never get far. You, won't pro you may get a raise, but you'll never prosper in spirit. God does not bless a stingy man. He does not. It's all over. I grew up with a lot of people you call semi-poor. They had jobs, but our diet was simple. Uh, I mean, it was common at our house to eat fried potatoes, pinto beans, sliced tomatoes, cornbread, and peach cobbler. Man, I wish there was somebody at a restaurant doing that right now. 
and, and peppers, you know, because we had a garden. Man, I hadn't seen anything around these residents yet that touch it. Common men, always a pot of beans, it seemed like. Always, man, I miss it. And I miss the woman who made it. Uh, money. Don't let it become filthy in your hands. Let it be used for good. The most blessed, I just read in the paper today where KD is putting four kids through college. Well, that's wonderful. If I was making 250 million, I think I could work that out in the budget. <laughs> but I'm glad for his benevolence. We don't have much longer to give for we will be in the presence of the giver. And he will ask you, what have you done with what I gave you? Your talent, your spiritual talent. Some of you are not engaged in ministry. That's your problem. Uh, if there's anything we can do. Uh, but don't blame it on me. If you're not engaged, you're not engaged because you're not right with God. Oh, I don't want to make you convicted, but I do want to tell you the truth. When will God get you? Your resources, you 150 and others. When will you learn to trust God about the management of finances? You're making a mess out of things. You need God as a partner. He wants to bless you. He wants to supply. He wants to use you to propagate his kingdom. Seek me first. See the three imperatives. Number one. Lay up treasures in the right place. Number two, don't worry. Four times he says it. Don't worry. God, and what's most of your worry tied to? Money. And then he says, seek first the kingdom of God, and I'll supply everything to you that the natural world is worried about. Amen. Think about it. Pray over it. Pray about what God wants you to do. You know what I'm hoping you're doing the prayer? Many times, God uses you to answer your prayer. And it goes this way. Lord, supply Sister Smith's need. Really need it. Really need it. And then all of a sudden, he says, good, I'm going to use you to answer that. No, use my brother Jones. He needs a blessing. He, he needs to learn to give. Yeah, and so do you. So you're afraid to pray about it because God might knock on your door to meet it. So we go in the back door. If we can get you to pray about it, we think we open you up to what God's spirit may say to you do. Amen? Deborah, can we do be everything? Or is it too late? It's too late. Sister Howard. Okay, let's stand. Carolyn's heard me too long. <laughs> Father, we are grateful that you have outdone all the critics that say giving will make you miserable. We have seen, Lord, it is one of the greatest blessings to help give a man a meal, buy a pair of shoes, or to help feed a missionary. We would rather give than to need it. We just pray you'll strengthen your people. And we pray that uh, 
this day will be a good day. May we come back for the children's program. I'd rather see one kid on this platform that I think is going to heaven because I gave money to a ministry that reaches kids than to have my account double. Now, if I get both, that'd be great. But if I had a choice, Lord, let us impact someone for heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.